Hello, you're listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number 92. I'm Dave. I'm Ashley. And we're a couple in Austin, Texas, getting to know each other better by uncovering each other's movie and pop culture blind spots. Mm-hmm. Each time, one of us gets to share a movie, a TV show, something like that that the other person's never seen before. Um, we are in control. We're in command. We are controlling the picture like the uh, control voice in Outer Limits. You know? Okay. You don't know. We should do the Outer Limits. Yep, probably. Okay, anyway. <laughs> um, hey, this kind of, what we saw this week sort of was like an Outer Limits episode now. that like now. So that probably zone, so. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's my turn. Last week, Ashley chose Phantasm, so if you haven't caught that episode yet, you should go back and catch up with this. It was uh, fantastic. It was... <laughs> Are you going to invent words this whole show? Yeah, certainly. Okay. Um, anyway. Certainly. <laughs> the movie I chose this week was um, Seconds. Seconds. 1960... What is it? 66? Yes. Yes, it is. Okay, 1966 (laughs) movie directed by John Frankenheimer and starring Rock Hudson. Um, Mm. I guess we can talk about what kind of a film it is or what genre it falls into, but I was going to just kind of label it as sort of a psychological thriller. Yeah. Um, And I think it's one that's uh, um, definitely more of a cult movie. I hadn't heard about it until I encountered it in my weird film class. Um. (laughs) <laughs> is that like curricular weird film you need to take your yeah, weird film well class. i mean maybe it wasn't called that in the catalog <laughs> but i'm pretty sure we've already done about four or five movies from that yeah that, that year at ucsd mm. 30 years ago um which apparently was a formative uh weird taste making sort of thing okay <laughs> I, I know i've talked about this before i don't know what episode and i can't remember when so if you've heard this story before I know you've heard this story before. Probably. There's not a story. It's, it's just... It's not a story. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a film, an undergrad film student at UC San Diego, I took a class called A Hard Look at the Movies. It's the best film class I've ever mm-hmm. taken in my life. It met every Wednesday night for the whole semester. And um, uh, French enfant terrible, um, angry, new wave, fascinating um, film professor slash filmmaker and... Uh, former collaborator with Jean-Luc Godard, who was my teacher. Mm. And um, each week he would just choose some strange film that he just wanted to kind of like throw at us and see how we would react. And then, so we'd screen the film and then he would kind of rant and and like riff on it for about an hour, Mm. and which he could easily do. Before um, there were podcasts. There yeah, were. <laughs> so you can thank him for, yeah. He, well, you know, oh, you know what JP does now? Mm. They, they get him to do um, uh, things on the Criterion uh, oh, okay. extras. Yeah. yeah. Um, actually, then his own uh, collection of films is on Criterion now. Anyway, he's amazing. Uh, he was probably like a big tastemaker in my life in terms of exposing me to uh, all kinds of um, new directors. That's why we've looked at Adam Agoyan movies on this show, mm. things like Exotica. He showed me my first Jane Campion movie, Angel at My Table. Uh, and I know it, it keeps coming up on the show, but that's where I saw this movie for the first time. Um, and I don't think I've seen it since. Maybe once yeah. within a year or two, I, I might have watched it on tape if we had to write a paper or something like that. So, so yeah, that's my that's that's where I've seen it before. So, interestingly, like I think that this would 
have been a movie that if my dad knew about it, he would want to show it. I mean, like, because it does give me Twilight Zone vibes. It also gives me, which I've never seen this movie, but my dad really liked it, Shop Corridor kind of vibes, you know, so. Okay, it's really funny that you yeah. said that. Because yesterday I was sitting there trying to choose between. Yeah. Shock. What are the chances? <laughs> what are the chances? I was trying to choose between Shock Corridor and Seconds. So that and was a movie that my dad always, well, he described it, but I don't think he knew the name of it. And so like I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what movie he was talking about. But it was, you know, the movie is about a guy who um, is doing like investigative journalism in uh, an inpatient mental hospital and then he be- like they won't let him out he's like stuck in there there's no way to convince okay <laughs> can we just pause there yeah. and consider this a future episode yeah yeah obviously i was debating i've been debating about it for a long time and i have a lot to say about that yeah. movie and it i love that you haven't seen it yeah. i almost chose it for yesterday <laughs> and it may have come down to like how long it was remember mm. when i was sitting there like what can we fit in between now and seven yeah. o'clock or whatever because we're uh, we're back yeah. to having a life outside our home now so so um and, and I, <laughs> I either one would have qualified for an october pick of being sort of a creepy mm. movie although this heads more in the sci-fi horror kind of yeah. realm a little bit than the other one um but why did i want to show it to you at all <laughs> <laughs> Because I like being able to pull out these movies that yeah. I know you've never heard of and yeah. that you don't know about. And um, and even though I probably have only seen it once or twice in 30 years, like, it's always stuck with me. Yeah. And I didn't remember every last thing about... I remembered the premise, the basic premise, and then um, sort of the feel of it. Yeah. And, and I guess some of the images... Rock Hudson with the, you know, being carted away, bound, and all that kind of stuff. Um, At the beginning of the movie, right? Yes. No. Um, So we're going to, since this is a a Twilight Zone kind of movie, um, and there are some some twists, and and you're not entirely sure where it's going to go as you are, you know, heading into the movie. If if you've not seen this movie, we're going to kind of, stick up a wall again and do mm. and, and create a spoiler zone at the mm. end. But we're going to try not to spoil the last act yeah. um, until we warn you later okay. on towards the end of the podcast. Yeah. Sound good to you? There's not going to be, we're not going to like, I see dead people moment or anything like that. You can't do that. I know. <laughs> that's at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> you didn't know that's, that that came from this movie? No, I'm just kidding. Didn't come from that movie. We're messing with you, audience. Um, <laughs> so and with each other. I'm just, I just like to make reference to Shyamalan movies because I think it's funny that he made a whole thing of, of the twist ending, you know, as, yeah. if, as if it didn't exist before, but, you know. <laughs> so uh, where do you want to start with this one? With uh, a little bit about the premise? Yeah, I guess we can, can do you, that. Can you... Take us so, in that direction. I was a little, un, and I actually still now I'm not sure, like, it's it starts in the middle of, in, middle, in, in, in the middle of everything, you know, so this guy works in a bank, comes home, lives in the suburbs, he lives across the street from Don Draper, <laughs> it certainly looks like that neighborhood. Is that canon? Yeah. Okay. Well, I think the house, I, I don't know, that house looked really, like, a lot, like, they did go shoot in Scarsdale, yeah, New York. So it, it looked like the neighborhood that uh, Don Draper I'm lived sure in. I'm sure a lot of houses looked yeah. like that. Uh, 
And he is receiving odd phone calls in the middle of the night that his wife has noticed that he's getting these phone calls. Um, but he doesn't want to tell her about what the phone calls are. So, I mean, like, it kind of just throws that in there. And I, I still don't know the... I don't know. What, I, was, I don't know how it started, but I think it kind of gets revealed at the end how it got started, but it's not exactly clear to me, you know. Okay, let's back up for yeah. a minute. Because <laughs> I actually think, having seen this now again, yeah. that to me, the first act and the, and the opening and the setup is like yeah. the strongest thing about the yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just so well directed mm, and yeah. shot and it's all paranoia and yeah. creepiness and claustrophobia. Yeah. And so what, what, how, you know, I was asking you like, what is this movie? What genre is it? Well, it certainly like st- opens with that credit sequence, that yeah. kind of weird credit sequence that's got like, warped extreme close-ups yeah, of exactly. like a, of a man's face eyes it's Saul Bass yeah, credit yeah. sequence um and it's got that like shocking sort of grating gothic uh mm. like organ it's mm, almost yeah. like the Bach Toccata and D minor yeah, kind yeah. of like creepy organ mm. thriller psycho-y kind of music going yeah. on so it's telling you like this is a horror movie this yeah. is gonna be shock you and then it opens in that weird sequence in the train station that's right the so train you actually station. before he gets home like it this is funny because it's like the difference between like what's actually happening the beat in the story versus how it's directed because like narratively all that's happening is this guy is walking is going home at the end of the day walking through the train station and someone is following him and yeah. hands him a piece of paper as he gets in into the train and the door closes and the guy's gone. But how it's shot is like this creepy, warped, black and white, like handheld thing where yeah. he's where you know, low angles and it's as it's it looks like and he's being followed shots through the crowd. Like it's like the cam it's not a steady cam, but it's no. like attached to his when shoulder see, or something. And it's not him, it's when you see the when yeah. we see the guy who's following him, yeah. it's like that. It's like the guy it's like a, a close up of the guy's head as he's moving yeah. through the crowd, but he's clearly like on a dolly being yeah. pulled like it's that weird effect that Spike Lee used to do in his yeah. movies where he'd have two com- two guys have a conversation a smooth, yeah. where they're literally not walking. They're just standing next to each other being dragged down like a sidewalk. Yeah. So it has that look to it. And the whole thing is just like, it's unsettling. It's got like fisheye lenses and like mm-hmm. weird wide angle creepiness. Um, and then, so, you know, he's being stalked, he's being followed. It's supposed to be this kind of claustrophobic, thing and then they hand him that address it's a piece of paper with an address on it well the interesting thing is that like knowing the time period and the fact that it's like shot in black and white like i was thinking we were doing some sort of like he's involved in crime in some way it's noir in some way or something like it doesn't end up being that way at all it's far more sci-fi in my in my view than that I initially expected it to be. I was thinking, okay, this guy's gotten involved in something that he's not supposed to be involved in or something like that, you know? Well, we haven't even mentioned that this is yeah. not Rock Hudson that we're yeah. seeing. This yeah. is this this is John Randolph. He's, mm-hmm. like, completely, like, you know, he's just sort of a middle-aged, 
jowly character actor. Yeah. Gray hair, graying hair, very sweaty. Mm-hmm. He <laughs> like, was very sweaty. And, well, that's um, why I thought that he had committed a crime or had witnessed a crime or something and like that. He he's completely like just going through the motions. He's, he's like stealing not, from the bank or something. Yeah, but he's not. He's yeah. getting, like you said, <laughs> he's getting the calls in the night. His wife is asking him about, and then you have this. The, we hear one of the calls. We're with him in the study late yeah. at night for one of the calls, and it's someone purporting to be his friend Charlie. And he's but like, it doesn't Char- sound Charlie's like dead. Him. Charlie's dead, yeah. and it doesn't even sound like his voice. Yeah. But he knows all the stuff that Charlie knows, like that they played tennis together. He tells him exactly what his study looks like that he's standing yeah. in right now, the last time he was there. About the trophy the, they the, won together. The tennis trophy they won, and how when you peel off the bottom of it, it's got the, the mm. Latin inscription that yeah. they wrote on it. Um, so he pretty much, he accepts that that's Charlie, even though it doesn't make any sense. And I I guess he ends up agreeing to go to the, uh, the, uh, address on the slip of paper. So it's, he's been invited to do something. And at this point, it's not clear what he's inviting him to do, but... No, but that's why I think this opening is so brilliant, because it gives, it gives you enough to make you curious to want to know more well and like he has like a pretty like average suburban life he goes into the city for work he comes home his wife they have a daughter who's married to a a doctor just becoming a doctor Mm -hmm. just finished residency so oh and talk about their marriage um so interesting there's there's this like subtle implication which i think is funny that I, either he's not interested in intimacy or he's not capable of intimacy with his wife. Like, she's interested in it, but he either is not interested in it with her or... So, the way I read it is <laughs> yeah. he is completely like a shell of a man. Yeah. He's, haha, 51 years old. <laughs> Let me tell you something. It's a little disturbing. Yeah. It he was looks, disturbing. He looks older than fifty-one. Okay, thank you. Me. But it was disturbing for me. I'm fifty-one years old. Yes. I didn't realize the significance of that when I chose <laughs> this movie. We're, I chose a movie about a discontented fifty-one-year-old man yeah. in a loveless marriage. So this is not like my life. Yeah. Okay. But um, well, I don't think it's loveless. I think she loved him. Whether he loved so her is another he thing. He is. He is a tip, he is a typical or what you would yeah. call like midlife crisis type of yeah. man who who like hates his job, is yeah. bored, yeah. has no feeling that he's ever pursued any of his dreams. I mean, yeah. this comes out in some of the dialogue in yeah. the first act, but you also it's there in the guy's perform in John Randolph's performance. Yeah. Um it's there in the scenes with his wife. He's really just he goes to work, he comes home, he barely talks to her. He doesn't yeah. express himself. Um, she tries to kiss him and be affectionate and he literally cannot yeah. participate. Like yeah. he just turns his face away or just remains completely, yeah. you know, frigid, frigid, literally, I guess. <laughs> um, so shall we talk? I just, yeah. well, I, I don't know to me and especially in, there's a scene later on that is sort of a parallel of that, mm-hmm. which I mean, I don't know if, if the subtext is, is there like, is he not operational or is it just emotionally he's not there? And I, and I don't know if there's like an implication that it could be both or, you know, or one leads to the other or whatever. But I don't know. Because there's a 
a moment later on in after the thing happens that that implies that that stuff is working again. So, <laughs> you know, I just think he had no interest in yeah. anything. Yeah. Like he's completely a shell. Yeah. He barely has a reason to get up in the morning, yeah. you know? And whatever this offer is, has just kind of disrupted him. And he, yeah. he ends up going to the address. So talk to me about what he finds. So he goes to an office with really nice wallpaper. Um, no, no, because before that... <laughs> this grass cloth wallpaper. Do you remember how he gets there? He goes to the laundromat? Oh, that's... Yeah, he goes to the laundromat, and they're like, he's not there anymore. So then they give him another address, and he goes to a meatpacking facility... And then at the meatpacking facility, um, they stick him in the back of a of a of a van that you would use to transport meat. And uh, oh, after putting him in the the, the helmet and yeah. the the smock, like yeah. as if he's a meat worker. Yeah, um, and he goes to this fourth or third location, I guess. Um, and uh, they call him in and. Um, Again, we're still cryptic as to what's happening. Like, they, they talked to him about, like, what his interests were when he was a child. And and I can't remember what... Okay, I remember this because yeah. I was just... I yeah. was just, And I've seen it a couple times yeah. now. But the sequence is when he gets to the office. And I, I love that this is, like... It's so weird and mysterious that even the day after... Oh, you're that's not right. Quite he sure waits a while, doesn't so he? So they put him in a waiting room, like a receptionist, like puts him in a waiting room and gives him a cup of tea and he passes out. Oh, that's right. Do you he remember has a weird, that? He has a, yeah. And there's this weird nightmarish dream sequency kind of thing. Where he's with, ravaging a where woman. There's a, he's, it shows him walking into a room and, and assaulting a woman who's yeah. lying there in bed. Yeah. And it's like shot all distorted as if it's a night, as yeah. if it's a dream sequence with kind of a mirror, like optical warping of the picture and all this sort of. That's right. Angle. I yeah, forgot it's about just, the photography in this and then movie. he wakes up and goes into another room where there's a bunch of men just sitting at a table doing random stuff like at tables well, like they're just waiting they're like for, reading they and have little playing portable cards. TVs yeah they're reading playing cards waiting and it seems like he's not allowed to talk to them yeah that nobody responds although there's to a him. look of recognition so we get at that point I think that one of them is Charlie yeah and I forget if we've seen him yet but uh, his the friend who called him and got him to come to this place is one of those one of these nondescript middle-aged white men sitting in this empty room like it's an office or something waiting for something to happen and he he's not supposed to be there yeah and he wants to leave because he doesn't know why he's there or what's happening and the next the next interview he has is with that sort of manager yeah the um i guess it doesn't matter the character's name is mr ruby Mm -hmm. and he's that kind of that guy that that character actor with this sort of eagly face or something yeah. like that. I don't know how to describe him. Um, Jeff Corey. He like He's the, in Twilight the Zone Colonel episodes. Colonel Sanders of our sci-fi film. I, I think a few of the people in this actually were in Twilight <laughs> Zone episodes. No, this is not the old man. Oh, this, this is, is not the old the, dude. This yeah. is the guy who um, who immediately launches into, oh, yeah, so we have to come up with the plan for your death. How, how we, we put it. And now this yeah. is getting very science fiction-y. Yeah. So what do we learn here? Um, he's going to be given like a new life. Um, they're going to do, they're going to fake his death. They have a, a body that they're going to make it look like him and then fake his death. He's going to be burned up in a hotel fire. Yeah. And they talk him through yeah. a lot of the common options. Yeah. There's like terrible car accidents. accidents. It yeah. has to be something that renders a person like, 
so badly injured that, yeah. you know, the teeth are gone, the yeah. fingerprints can't be, you know, like, there's yeah. got to be just enough of, like, height, build, and overall sort of proportions for for the, uh, this the only match wor- to happen. This only works, like, before DNA. You yeah. know, the other thing that... Well, yeah, this is before DNA. I don't know if I... I don't know if this is the time to bring it up, but this film in its setup and the way it's paced reminds me a lot of Get Out in a way. Absolutely. Yeah. I think this is probably a huge... Yeah. I was watching the movie thinking, this is a lot like Get Out. It really is, yeah. And I I wouldn't be surprised if... I'd actually want to go back and see if I can find any evidence of Jordan Peele mentioning this as an influence Mm -hmm. because uh, thematically, narratively, story-wise, it's... It's very similar similar to Get Out. Yeah. Um... But it also has that same sort of like it's it feels like the buildup is very slow moving and like I mean like it doesn't have the little bits that Jordan Peele is so good at about these little details that are in the background yeah. that like heighten the thing. But yeah. but I I think like something about the pacing and you can tell a story like this in a very sort of gradual way and still have that like building dread working throughout the whole film. Well, you I, know? I love this opening cause it does have dread, yeah. even though you don't know what's going yeah. on. And then even all of these anomalies, these kind of weird things yeah. that just feel, everything feels kind of off. Yeah. Like what is this office? Why are the men in that room? Yeah. Um, they very, you know, all we learn is that this is the company. They call yeah. it the company and they arranged for rebirths, and somebody sponsored him, his friend Charlie, and um, and now it, they just they just the fact that he's there in the room at this point, and they're handing the contracts and talking about what's going to happen. Um, they've it's already a done deal as far yeah. as the company is concerned. Well, yeah, the fact that he got there, I think that, like, at the point that he was at the spot, there was, like, no going back at that point, you know, that, and, and like, they, they confirmed that by, and that's the thing I was confused about while watching it, but now that I'm thinking back on it, which is that they, they actually somehow, like, manipulated him into a situation where they could video him actually appearing to... Yeah, so the, the, the dream sequence with yeah. where he assaulted the woman actually happened, happened when he was under hypnotic control or, like, drugged. Yeah. Like, they actually filmed him... They recorded it, yeah. ...assaulting this woman. Yeah. Although they said, you didn't actually ravage her. Yeah. But, um, but the implication <laughs> is that... Uh, <laughs> that they have... That it's a blackmail situation, yeah. right? It's like, so this, he says, like, yeah. is this blackmail? And they're like, oh, just call it insurance. Yeah. You know. So, we know like, that at that point, he can't. It's easier to go. can't a- change his mind. Yeah, he says know? it's easier to go ahead when you can't go back. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a, a for-profit deal, yeah. right? It's about $30,000 is what the whole thing costs. The- so that was the part that also confused me. I was like, so he paid them. He, he like... Some something about the way it was set up, I was confused as to whether this was something that he chose or something that was like forced on him. You oh, know? I think it's forced on him. I think that they are they've like once you say the name, then it well fl- they've drawn up the the legal the the contracts and set up a trust. The trust is gonna and you know give enough to his wife, his yeah. widow. But I think that's also probably where the payment is yeah. coming from. Like they're they're setting up the the financials. It's, it's very weird. It's like it's almost like, 
like a pyramid scheme or something like that. The way that it's kind of said, I don't know. It just well, seems... even more so. We learn later. Yeah, and that's probably third act like, territory. His behavior is never like, oh, I'm going to get to have a new wi- life and wife, um, a new life. Um, no, it's, it's like it's, he's it's trapped. It's always like he he's trapped. Like you have to do this now, and it's it's interesting. So, like, maybe he was intrigued by it and wanted to find out more, but didn't realize that in finding out more that... He didn't realize by going yeah. to the location and learning what it's about, There's a, that's a point of no return. Yeah. Because that's, that's what I get out of it. You yeah. can't go back once he's there. Yeah. They have blackmail. They have the, the film mm-hmm. of, of him. He knows too much, you yeah. know, at this point. Um Oh, we have this great detail of the the uh, the body. You know, they mm-hmm. they're always on the lookout for the matches for for bodies yeah. to to be the the supposed person's the, the, the CPS yeah the the, the, the cadaver procurement services cadaver procurement cadaver, services yeah course. they talk about CPS very nonchalantly <laughs> cadaver yeah. oh that's cadaver procurement services um, <laughs> that's my next job I want to work for cadaver procurement services. <laughs> and then um, at some point, and I don't remember the sequence because there's there's a there's a chunk where he is briefly meets with another person where they play back tape recordings they made when he was under hypnosis, and that's where they kind that's of where they talk his about childhood. his childhood dreams and wishes and goals, and that's where they're like. So they're setting up his life based on some stuff that he said during well, hypnosis, which like it's questionable. I mean, all of this is questionable. Well, they ask, but... they like regressed him to being a child and ask yeah. him what you want to be when you grow up, basically. And... So that's not a good plan. You need to wait. And what was the first thing he said? Oh, he, it was something, oh, he wanted to be a, te- world, a tennis pro. A tennis pro, Well, you yeah. can't be a tennis pro if you don't have the skills. Yeah. So they're like, what else could you be? An and he's artist. like, I would like to paint. I yeah. want to be a painter. So um, they've gone back and pulled this out of his own mind and yeah. his own words, and it's supposedly it's his unrealized dream, the thing he never got to do. He became a banker and has a dull job. And, and Sorry, bankers out there, but John Randolph doesn't like his job. Well, see, this, this is to me, again, another, like, the 60s mis- misunderstanding psychology or, or you know, mm. it being a nascent... It doesn't matter. Art at, ...or study at that point, but, you know, like... It's just a science It's not ideal to, it to pick up, like, your childhood dream. Yeah. Like, how many people actually know what they want to do when they grow up when they're a child, you know? I don't know. Watch 42 Up, you can find out. <laughs> and then the third interview he has is with the old man. Yeah. And the old man is this... Colonel Sanders. Yeah, he's this, like, kindly, <laughs> gentle, old Southern gentleman with yeah. a cane and glasses and a white white suit, probably. Yeah. And and he's very grandfatherly and, and talks about how this was his dream to be able to fulfill the, the promises and the, the life that people wish they had but, but didn't have an opportunity to do and how he's the beneficiary of such a, a wonderful opportunity and how they're going to do everything they can to set him up and all that. And again, it's a done deal. And, uh, and I don't know what what the purpose of the i mean why like narratively why the old man comes to that point or even in the in the sense of the scheme in the movie is it just that kind of like it's okay everything's going to be it's very benevolent and good and there's nothing to be afraid of and you don't need you know yeah you kind of have this like how could anything bad happen when you've got Colonel Sanders here assuring you that it's all for the best reasons and everything will be fine and you're going to get to live the life that you've you've never got to have before. 
It's it's interesting. So they they give him surgery. He turns into Rock Hudson during the surgery, and I, actually the surgery is like a pretty like interestingly shot. The close so I'm going to tell you something. I don't know if you looked it up, but John Frankenheimer actually had them shoot a real plastic surgery rhinoplasty operation for that. The cameraman passed out, and John Frankenheimer Frankenheimer ended up shooting the rest handheld. So some of that footage we saw, mm-hmm. even though we don't really see anything... It was far more clinical than you yeah. would need necessarily in this... Um... But perfect for... No, yeah. perfect for the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, again, you have to... It's a reminder that no, this is a horror movie, or this is a this is a shocker, or this is you're going, you're not safe, audience. Yeah. He's not safe. We're now going to basically rip his face off and give him a new one. Yeah. So guess who he wakes up as? We're a half hour into the podcast. Works, it works into Rock, Rock Hudson. Jowly, sweaty Arthur Hamilton. Sorry, Arthur Hamilton. Oh, that's not his name. That's the name of the character. But mm-hmm. the, <laughs> the 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 initial actor now. The, I mean, the same character is What's now played by name? Rock Hudson. Um, Tony Wilson, but That's it's right, like... Tony Wilson. It's, I don't know how to pronounce the Latin, but it's like Antiochus... Antiochus. Okay. Antiochus. Antiochus Wilson. Wilson. Tony Wilson. You can just call me Tony for Yeah, short. just call me Tony Wilson. <laughs> um, and actually, I... I was a little worried because in my memory, I was like, I think they just take off the bandages and he's like Rock Hudson looking perfect. But no, well, they, they, had they, stitches and they stuff. had a good transition sequence where he still had the, the white hair and yeah. he, you know, he looks like he's been through the ringer. He's yeah. got stitches and bruises all over his face. He can't talk because they also do surgery on your vocal cords mm. to give you a new voice or something. They've, they say they've changed, they say they changed his signature yeah. in his handwriting by doing something to the tendons in his hands too. Oh, okay. I mean, it's like they really try and come up with everything. Um, and so because that's how people were identified back then. And so <laughs> just by uh, your signature. <laughs> There's a brief kind of, uh, you know, in Rocky, we get a training sequence. Here yeah. we get like a recuperating slash physical therapy slash sequence. they're telling him about his new life kind yeah. of thing. His new on. life, his new setup, which is? So he's a painter. Oh, uh, Well, that's the weird thing about this is they don't just like, here's your new life. Here's some money. Like, you figure it out. It's like, here's your new life in this apartment and people know who you are and you're established and we have paintings available for you um, to distribute. Yeah, and- <laughs> so that's the thing. It's because even I, having seen it before, I think like, oh, so now he has the opportunity to do to try this new thing that he never got to do, you know, to kind yeah. of start over and be a new person. But, like, they don't even expect him to be an artist. No, they, they have just- people who've created his paintings, and they said, we'll arrange for deliveries of new artwork every once in a while while yeah. you're learning your own style. Yeah. And uh, they give him a beach house in Malibu. Yeah. Which was John Frankenheimer's actual house. Apparently. Oh, interesting. It's a nice house. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he has that manservant. He has yeah. the sort of John. valet or whatever. John. John. I love John. John works for the company. I swear John's in other... John, that actor, I need to look him up. Um, he, seems, he seems a little irritated with uh, He looks with, like uh, he's Tony in... Tony from the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> he he looks and dresses a little like uh, Mr. Rogers, I think. Mm. Like he had the same haircut and the same kind of little sweater vest yeah. thing, and <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he is employed by the company mm. to be a sort of agent of transition and yeah. to help smooth over the the beginnings of his new life as and fitting in, and so he knows the whole deal. Yeah. But he's also, like, initially very 
I guess, meek and accommodating and yeah. just trying to make sure he's comfortable. But um, they he does that kind of little needling yeah. him to be more social. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the other thing is, is like, I mean, and it, it becomes more clear as it goes on, but like, he doesn't ever mix with like anyone in Malibu or LA or anything like that. Like everything is like, at first he doesn't want to interact with anyone. He's just trying to get everything figured out. Um, so he just like walks around the beach and hangs out at home and well, it's funny be- badly. And you it's know. funny because they're giving him the life he's always wanted, Yeah, but he's still like the like introvert, quiet, yeah. like, kind of hermit-like guy who doesn't really want to do anything yeah. at first. Like, he's just, he's just trying to, like... Well, I mean, the whole time, I think. He doesn't yeah. ever really start to explore. And I think that that might be the sort of, like, ultimate key to this, is that, like, there was nothing there. Like, he had no substance. He had no dreams. It doesn't matter what situation... And, I mean, like, in a sense, like, probably it's like a... Well, well you could interpret it as a metaphor for the fact that that, you know, men aren't encouraged to explore their emotions or figure out what no. their dreams are. And they're just expected to jump on this conveyor belt, which is something they say, you know. Uh, that is all there. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what this is all about. But I also think, like, whether or not he has dreams or he ever genuinely, yeah. genuinely wanted a life like this, yeah. he has no drive yeah. and he didn't achieve it. He didn't yeah. strive for no. anything. He didn't pursue his dreams. No. It's just handed to him. Yeah. So he's now... Given the body and face of of Rock Hudson, he lives in this beach house in Malibu. He has a beautiful artist studio, well, a claustrophobic little artist studio. He has too much furniture in there, but anyway. Um, (laughs) He has this sort of life where he can just kind of walk along the beach and sit there and brood and whatever. And he's not happy. Yeah. There's never any sense of fulfillment in this. Um, So, uh, and um, John, the uh, butler, keeps sort of, you know, don't you think you should have a cocktail party and meet your neighbors yeah. and, like, you know, establish yourself in the community? And, and he's like, oh, I'm not ready for that. And, yeah. Um, but it's completely empty because it's just given to him. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think, I mean, aren't, I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of men were kind of just, they wanted to have what they wanted, yeah. whether or not they deserved it or worked for it or, yeah. you know, and, and they give him the, uh, superficially, they give him a new life. They give yeah. him the externals of it, but he has, he has to want it. He has to pursue it. He yeah. has to like lean into it. He has to live for something and he's got nothing to live for. Yeah. Even in this new situation. What is the Updike story, the one about the guy who's out running errands, but he has all these fantastic uh, imaginations? I don't remember. They made a Ben Stiller movie of it not too long ago. Um, Oh, no, that's a James Thurber story. Sorry, Thurber. It's The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Yeah, Secret Life of Walter Walter Mitty. Yeah. Thurber, Updike, same difference. (laughs) Anyway, so um, on the beach, though, he meets somebody. Yeah. So let's talk about her. So this is funny. Her name is Nora Marcus. We're watching the movie. Um, She's 
vaguely Scandinavian of some sort. She's got She's some sort of an accident. Salome Jens. I don't know mm-hmm. how to pronounce it. Okay. J E N S. But that Jens. could be like a a Scandinavian name, yeah. maybe. Or t- I'm sorry, it I don't Dutch know. I, I, or, I meant to look her up. Or, maybe maybe it's Dutch. I think yeah. it could be Dutch. Um, I'm not familiar with the actress. It's funny because I was trying to say like, oh, this is like Persona because a lot of the photography actually reminds me of Persona as we were watching it. But I could not remember the name of Persona and I kept saying Memento and Dave was very confused. Yeah, I had to. <laughs> and then the Scandina- Scandinavian yeah. lady showed up on the beach and I was like, oh, this is a lot hey, like Persona. Rock Hudson, it's a scene where Rock <laughs> Hudson walks out to the beach. Uh, this woman is, this blonde <laughs> European looking woman is sitting there and she's like, she's oh, like he's, black hoodie he's, there to, he's there to interest her in uh, participating in, in Memento with him. And I was like, <laughs> what? what? Are you I'm talking so confused. About? <laughs> and I was like, Memento? Persona. And you said, because she's, she's kind of like Swedish or something, right? And I was like, uh, <laughs> Carrie-Anne Moss was in Memento um, with Guy Pearce. And you're like, oh. I, I haven't seen Memento, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> That's like that's the one that's backwards where the whole movie's backwards. Yeah, I and, and the concept. So, I just couldn't remember. For I finally some figured out you're talking about Ber- Ingmar Bergman's persona. Yeah. Which you're dead right. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a, like it's very it looks similar. exactly like the a lot of the photography shot on the that on Bergman's personal island where yeah. he lived for many years and shot a number of his movies, the island of Faro, where you know, kind of forlorn overcast beach rocks and such instead of yeah we get malibu like all overcast it's not even like even the location isn't that that malibu has a lot of but fog during certain times but i'm saying this never feels like paradise no it does feel like you've got he's gotten away yeah somewhere like he's in another life but it doesn't ever feel like paradise yeah so let's talk about his relationship with this woman she i mean like i guess she's She's the one that's supposed to, like, bring him out and, and start participating in things. And, you know, we learn... Well, supposed to. We don't know yeah. that. Yeah. Well, she... I mean, that's what she does. She is sort of starts bringing him out um, into into exploring the world a little bit. So they have a date, which goes okay. And then she says she's going somewhere... When can I see you again? And, oh, I'm going to Santa Barbara. And so he he's like, can I come? He invites himself along to... Yeah, I was like, that's pretty forward. Yeah. <laughs> and so they go to... He's going to be all needy and clingy right away. Yeah, they go to a Bacchanalia. They go to an Italian film. They just go into a yeah, little Dolce Vita. They end up in, uh, yeah, they end up in a Fellini movie for about 20 minutes. Um, so they're, it's a, it's a, a grape crushing, um, yeah. a sort of harvest celebration sort of thing where they, um, it ha- it's very actually similar to the parade in Wicker Man, you know, where they're, you know, everybody's like in masks and yeah, it's like some kind of Dionysian Bacchanalia yeah. sort of celebration. Exactly that. I yeah. <laughs> where the, the, the mules are bringing in the like cartloads of, uh, of the grapes and then they and put it all in a big, the, the people are dancing and playing flutes and yeah. it's all satyr like. And, uh, and then, uh, everybody gets naked and jumps on top of the grapes. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody gets naked. So the, all that nudity was cut out in the, american original release there's oh, like full frontal nudity of women yeah the women in this for 1966 still wasn't really done here yeah so that footage uh they cut out about seven minutes i think of the movie okay probably most of it from the that sequence interesting and, which frankenheimer said 
I, I don't remember if I saw the older version yeah. last time, but he said the version of that scene that was left over actually looked more like an orgy without the nudity. <laughs> he said, so they inadvertently made it weirder. Yeah. They made it weird. <laughs> yeah. You made it weird. He says, it's clear that they're just like, you know, taking off their clothes and, ju- and yeah. trouncing the, the grapes. But like somehow it ended up looking weirder when yeah. they cut some of the connecting tissue out. So they're like dancing around and he's kind of standing around awkwardly. And she sort of, like, goes over and, like, is trying to get him to dance. Well, and he's then, there in his full, yeah, like, uptight, yeah. judgy, sort of uncomfortable, middle-class yeah. Arthur Hamilton mode. Yeah. Not, not his Tony Wilson Rock Hudson yeah. days. So she decides to, like, get naked and jump in the thing. And he, like, tries to stop her. And then the... Yeah, it gets really mad and possessive. Yeah, he. it's very weird. Um, they've been on one date, dude. Um, but he he, like jumps in and the the people like strip him and like throw him in the the pool of grapes and you know then so this is the moment where i think like it's like either like it's supposed to be either a emotional awakening for him or a physical awakening for him or both i think is is implied i think this is literally (laughs) supposed to be like a baptism too yeah like this is supposed to be the the moment where he embraces where he can and embrace the new life yeah right because he gives into it yeah and ends up enjoying and, and falling into that and that ecstatic you know yeah. passion of all the people in that festival like yeah he ends up like completely laughing and covered in the grapes and like dunked and like just as part of the chaos as much as everybody else and embraces it yeah and so in a way you're kind of like oh maybe this is like a turning point for him now he's gonna settle into this life so i mean and this is sort of like for this is the 10 minutes that we that he expresses any happiness at all you know um he he likes being with nora um they have sort of like you know romantic times where they're laying on the beach together and you know there's you know some beginnings of relationship sort of stuff happening you know and another connection they have is she oh, she tells right. her story that she got fed up with her life and just walked out on her husband and children. And two children, yeah. Yeah, and started over here. Yeah. And so they have that connection of yeah. having walked away from their other lives. Although he doesn't ever mention that to her. I mean, she, no, well, we'll find he, out she knows. We know but, that and yeah. he knows that. But yeah. it's a point of connection yeah. between them as yeah. here is another you know, outsider starting over, a, another rebirth, another second, yeah. you know. Which is suspicious. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she convinces him to have a dinner party. It's the party that John wanted yeah. him to have the whole damn yeah. time. So she finally gets him to have the party. And it's it's funny because, like, he literally is happy for, like, the bacchanalia and then, like, the five, ten minutes that they're in their relationship together. And then when, as soon as he brings other people into it, he's just like... Before he before he starts drinking, he's like really awkward. He's uncomfortable. He just wants to spend time with Nora. He doesn't want to interact with these people. And then he gets really drunk, like really obscenely drunk. And she tells him to slow down. Like however <laughs> yeah. drunk you probably actually think Rock Hudson and Dean Martin and those guys used yeah. to get. That's how drunk <laughs> yeah, he, he gets. Yeah, he got really like sloppy, like admitting like secrets. Like loud mouth, the awful person at the party kind yeah. of drunk. And to the this point where... This is why where, I don't drink anymore. Yeah. In front of people. Did you accidentally <laughs> talk about your past life when you were... <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't like then, it. 
he just like he just starts to burn it all down yeah he talks about i think it starts out when there's men standing around talking about their college careers and like which is interesting to me because like he he apparently went to harvard before but his new life is that he has a degree from i don't know where from berkeley or something like art that art schools and art stuff like that stuff art like, institutes so like clearly he has a hard time suppressing the you know, this probably Harvard was like the one big thing that he accomplished in his life. That yeah. and being and a he's banker. He's like, oh, I went to Harvard and once I, too. <laughs> and he starts singing the song, and then like some people at the party like are really start getting sort of like weirdly aggressive with him about it. Well, they're like, really uncomfortable. Yeah, with... they get up and leave when he's talking. But you think or... it's just because he's being a drunk loudmouth yeah. yeah. for a lot of that. Yeah, but. At, at one point, like, he's sort of, like, shouting out details about his, his old life, about how he has a daughter. Oh, my name's actually niece. Arthur Hamilton. Yeah. Or I used to be Arthur Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my daughter. Oh, I don't have a daughter anymore. So they, like, pull him into a room and, like, are holding him down. All while the he's men ranting. at the party. All the men at the party are holding him down while he's just sort of ranting. And then John comes in. Yeah. And Nor- at some point, Nora comes well, in and is really upset at him for... Well, for- John says, they all know. <laughs> yeah. They're like you. Yeah, they're all... So this whole community of people... So now there's a community... Like, all of them end up in Malibu? Doesn't that yeah. seem a little odd? That that seems to me a flaw well, in the like narrative. that neighborhood but... near uh, UCSD, I assume, is like that. Where all the Second Life men live? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know... Um, well, uh, now you know why he's so... Why La, Ho- La Jolla is, is all... Uh, all Wait, those. does that mean that Theodore Geisel was one of them? Yeah, probably. Um, Dr. Seuss. Um, they so, will provide you some children's books until you figure out how to write your own. I think you might. Maybe that's... The, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Um, so now you know why they're so angry, because he's going to fuck it up for everybody. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You're giving away the, but, but the like story. The, I don't know how many regular people are there. I think there's only think like prob- a couple of regular people there. I think it was all the wives. Yeah. Are the regular... Those are okay. the new spouses, The probably. new spouses. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then he finds out that during this that Nora is not just a woman that he's met that and she's not like them she, she is she's been hired by the company she's an employee of the yeah, company like yeah, John yeah which i think she was the one thing that actually yeah that, did, he, was, that he actually liked and that yeah. and and th- that he felt that he did on his own yeah and so to learn that the one thing that i thought i had the one new chance i had don't forget it as this party was starting when he first is, gets drunk and they kind of go off and they have yeah. this little tryst in the room and they like they're like well tonight tonight after everybody leaves yeah. we're gonna get busy or whatever you know and she's <laughs> like oh i'm gonna hold you to that um she tells him she she loves him yeah i think i'm in love with you or i i love you and um so now that's fake yeah so in this moment he learns not only is this whole cocktail party fake yeah the whole painting setup is fake yeah the whole new life is fake the woman he thought that he actually did form a friendship a connection and new love with yeah is just an employee of the company yeah well this is the emptiest <laughs> life ever yeah. emptier than what he once had yeah so this is our act two yeah so i mean at this point like it's it's clear that like the the company has their eye on him and that he's not behaving or performing in the way that they would want him to. Um, He kind of sneaks away and flies back to, 
to New York. Um, yeah, gonna, he runs away. Yeah. He, he, he sneaks away. Yeah, and he goes to visit his wife and ask her some questions about, you know... So, let's talk about that. Yeah. Why do you think he goes to visit his wife? What's his goal there? Well, I mean, I guess he's... he's it's man's search for meaning. <laughs> Is he trying to... I get the sense that he's trying to reevaluate what he had. Yeah. And see if there was any meaning there. Yeah. Like, what did he leave? Yeah. Can he see it with new eyes? Yeah. What do you think? So, I mean, like, he comes away with it at the, you know, he thinks that, I mean, I think he realizes that he needs to be able to make the choices, you know, that it can't just all be done for him. But the weird thing is he doesn't seem all that upset about the life he left. He still doesn't seem all that left upset about the life he left behind. Like, he feels as separated from that as he does from the fake life that they made for him, you know, so... I think also, I'm just realizing now that there's a little bit of an It's a Wonderful Life thing going on yeah. here. Because he goes almost to see, what impact did I have on my wife? Yeah. And what is her life like with without me being there. It's yeah. now been supposedly a year since the death. Yeah. And he walks in to find that she she's redone his study. She's yeah. redone the house. She doesn't seem terribly... She has good taste. She doesn't... I mean, I know a year has passed by, yeah. but... And she's talking to basically a stranger. Yeah. But I think he he interprets it like it doesn't really matter that he's gone. Yeah. Like, I don't think he feels like the loss yeah. talking to her. She's gotten rid of all these things in the garage, as you would, you know, as you might. Yeah. Um, she's redone the house. She doesn't have a husband who needs that study well, anymore. She, she likes to I mean, stay busy. I mean, like, it, well, look, people react to death a lot differently, but um, not everyone immediately cleans up the garage in the first I, year. I just know that we're supposed to feel what yeah. he's feeling mm -hmm. is like, well, I guess it didn't really matter, maybe. Well, she does say that, that like, he... He just wasn't ever engaged in anything, you know. He did the things that you're supposed to do, but wasn't ever really... Never shared himself, and, who yeah. he was or what he thought about. Yeah, he just wasn't there. He was always going through the motions, you know. So Oh, she actually, she's the one who says, yeah. in some ways, he died a long time ago yeah. before the accident last year. Yeah. So... he He's there probing, like, what did she feel about me? How does she remember me? And yeah. Like, you truly have the sense that he has nothing. I mean, like, <laughs> he had nothing then that he appreciated. He can't get it back. And then yeah. this new life furnished by the company yeah. was also a complete fraud. And there's no going back well, to that. Well, so the, the interesting thing, I feel like this is a messaging that we get a lot in maybe particularly Western canon and maybe particularly, like focus towards men and men's experiences is this concept of like, you know, imagine getting away from all this, but like really you should appreciate what you have kind of thing. And I don't know that this is necessarily the message we're getting here, but as someone who has like, you know, change their life entirely. Like sometimes it turns out for the good. Sometimes you know, that, that it shouldn't always be. And like, the thing is, I think if you have emotional, 
knowledge, knowledge of your own emotions and an understanding of yourself, then you can make those decisions about whether you just want to escape because things are hard or boring right now, or if you want to escape because you need to in order to move to the next stage of your life. And so I don't think this guy has any sort of like self-awareness, either emotionally speaking, or just like basically understanding what his basic needs and wants are. He doesn't know himself. And so he... I don't think, like, even if he got the third try, that he would be able to... Fi- Maybe he'd have a slightly better chance, you know, but, you know... Yeah. God, man, go to therapy. Don't uh, have plastic surgery and well, go live are, in Malibu. These are people who <laughs> aren't capable of yeah. doing anything yeah. or making a change, and the company is there to basically press a button and do it for you. Yeah. And then you're still left being the same person who doesn't really want anything or know how to achieve anything or have any drive or any passion yeah or any will to do anything and um they are providing what you know what all men want right yeah. what the what the middle class middle-aged man with the midlife crisis wants a woman, a new house, a sexy life as yeah. an artist on the beach. Like, yeah. it's all of these external superficial things. Like, we give you the new life. You have all the, yeah. you get the new sports car, you know, and you get the, but it, there's, it, so that, you know, the movie's obviously saying something about that kind of like, be careful what you wish for or getting what you want isn't necessarily. Well, I mean, and I, I understand that because like, I, I, I like, I remember this, like, you know, I had, I bought a. I was not happy in in the previous iteration. Is this about the door. Yeah, the door. So like, we bought a house because that was the thing that you're supposed to do. Like, you're you got your your job that you're gonna have for a while. You're making a good amount of money. You buy a house, except you know not anymore because nobody can buy houses. But this was you know 15 years ago or 10 years ago something. Anyway, you know. So then like. Because I was bored, I was, like, focusing all my energy on, like, upgrades that I could make to that house. And, like, you know, we bought a door. It was a beautiful door for this house. And, like, I was, like, this is, like, the, like, the weird thing that chipped away at it is, like, so we got the door and I was, like, really happy and it looked really good. But it only felt good for, like, a day. And then I was starting to think about what's the next thing we can do? What's the next thing we can do? And that's like when I started to realize that that I wasn't happy in this life anymore. But it, it's weird because you... And it's not about the door. Yeah, it's not about the door. It's not about the There's house. No it's door not about the kitchen it. cabinets. It's something is wrong, you know, and, and you, you have to... But like the thing is, is like ultimately in the life that I ended up in, it was satisfactory because like one, I made the decision, but also I did all the hard work to get where I wanted to be next, you know, and, and like in reality, and maybe this is like something that like particularly affects wealthy and middle-class white men, which is that because everything is not necessarily handed to them, but because everything is a lot easier than it should be, that it is for most people that there's not this sort of like ability to like work towards something and feel the accomplishment. Like, you know, if you're expected to go to Harvard and you go to Harvard and then you're expected to get a job at the bank and then you get a job at the bank, like all the things, I mean, like it just, it falls into place. 
rather than <laughs> <laughs> rather than actually like this is the thing that I want that's hard for to do and I'm going to work hard to accomplish it and there's going to be blocks along the way but then when I'm done I can feel like I've accomplished something mm-hmm. you know it's like he never took the time to see you know that life is about the meaning that you put into it and maybe if things are too easy that you don't have you don't develop that ability i bet he's working know? for the same bank he got yeah. a job with in his 20s yeah. well i mean that's, you know he's a lifer yeah <laughs> basically um so he he gets the new life yeah. from the company it's terrible it, it's all a sham yeah he goes back he runs back to new york to scarsdale he can't go back yeah There's, he can't have his old life back um, and he's more or less, I feel like he feels he's more or less forgotten and yeah. <laughs> like his life, he has no sense that his life mattered still. Yeah. So his next response as we head into the last and final act of the movie is to go back to the company and yeah. demand a third chance. Yeah. So at this point, audience, if you have not seen this film, um, I want to <laughs> give you fair warning that we're going to go into spoiler territory yeah. now. The ending is quite good, I will yeah. say, but there are some surprises and some shockers along the way. So if you don't want to hear that and have this spoiled, yes, I know, spoiling a 1966 movie. No. That, and if this has tantalized you at all, even though we've had to give away a lot of what's going on just to talk about the development, um, hit pause. We'll give you a few seconds to do that. And then we're going to keep talking and get into the ending of the movie. All right. Ready? <laughs> Okay, now we're going to the spoiler zones. Turn it off if you don't want to hear this. Spoilers. Okay, let's talk. Let's, to the let's talk zone. about uh, what happens to good old Rock Hudson, what he expects to get at the company when he goes back. His the road leads back to the company yeah. where it all started. What so happens? So he is picked up outside of his. Literally, John yeah. has found him right outside yeah. of his house as he comes out. So and they drive him back to the company, and like immediately, like everybody is a little cagey about. Um, about what's going to happen next. Like, <laughs> he keeps talking and talking about what he wants to happen next, but everybody else is kind of, like, noncommittal and talking around, I think, you know, yeah. about his... So he's, like... First, they send him to the room with the waiting men. So now we realize <laughs> who the waiting men are. Yeah, they're men that have had a failed attempt at Did a new life. Did you catch the detail... I think it's in conversation with the old man, mm-hmm. Colonel Sanders, as we call him. Yeah, Colonel Sanders. In these parts. Did you catch what he said? He said, Our, this procedure has an 80% fail rate. Oh, wow. Or something like that. Yeah. And we're working to improve this at all. I think it's him rather than the other manager he talks to. Yeah. But did you catch the... No, the, I didn't I catch think it's, that. He said, We've ha- we have about an 80% failure rate. And so we're constantly trying to make improvements so that more people will have successful rebirths. You should hire a psychologist instead of a hypnotist, but... There you go. <laughs> they, they need some serious uh, therapy to figure out what they are and you know, who they want. You know, this old before. man, he's... It's like he's the same character as in Get Out, the yep. old the old Southern guy who's yep, blind who exactly. wants yeah right yeah. yeah okay same guy same guy um, it's his they're uh, linked thematically <laughs> um, so he's waiting in the waiting room and, and so that scene is weird because like they're waiting and like somebody like starts talking to him and it's it's Charlie and his new body is talking to um, yeah. Tony or Alexander and um, 
Ant- Antiochus. Antiochus. Antiochus, yeah. Tony Wilson. Tony. Let's call him Tony. Tony. <laughs> um, and Charlie's yeah, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for you. Uh, you know, I was waiting for, you know, the business to be wrapped up for you. But, you know, now now it's going to be my turn to go back into surgery and get my my third chance. But do you remember this is a callback because he gets a phone call from Charlie, yeah. I think, back in Malibu at some yeah. point where Charlie, I, I don't remember when the, or maybe it's at his house. I don't remember where it yeah. is, but before the scene where he encounters Charlie in person yeah. in the waiting room, he's gotten at least some call from like Charlie saying, don't, don't louse this up. You know, yeah. my case is connected with yours. Yeah. And he does, we don't understand what that means at that point. But now that he walks into the room, Charlie's like clearly. Yeah. He's like, now it's my turn. The weird thing about this scene, too, is that they have, like, this focus on, like, they're passing around some sort of pills and water mm-hmm. um, to the men in the room, and it's not inclu- immediately... And, well, it's still not clear. Yeah, it's not clear what, what, what that was about, but um, that's a little suspicious. Um, and, like, it's explained to him that they're all waiting for their plastic surgery. These were all people who didn't work out, who mm-hmm. had their second lives and it didn't work out. Yeah. And so, um, and he actually gets, doesn't he get a little bit upset with Charlie for saying, like, when you got me into this, you never, you didn't tell me that it didn't work out for you. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I wouldn't have ever come here had I known known. that you were already in a waiting room after having failed at this, waiting for another opportunity. Yeah. So, as far as we know, we've got a room full, that room full of men sitting there watching TV and reading books and writing notes. And now we see for the first time being handed pills and yeah. cups of water are, we think, waiting for their second chance. Yeah. I mean, their third chance. Their so, Charlie life. gets called away. Um, they keep pulling Tony into uh, interviews with the higher-ups in the company. They want him to suggest somebody else. They want him to sponsor someone. Everybody who yeah. goes through the service has to sponsor somebody else. Yeah. And he just refuses to do it. He's like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. And at first the guy's like, oh, we just want you to think about it. Yeah. That's the best you can do right now. But it becomes increasingly like over to- time they're upset with him. Like yeah. you have to come up with a sponsor. You really must. Yeah. You, anybody. Get somebody you've worked with. Somebody you think might be a good match for us. And during all this like. He's not really listening to what they're saying. He is just talking about like what his next chance is going to be. That he should be allowed to make his own decisions. That um, that the choice is really the important thing, um, and that's what he should do next um, in the next time around. So Charlie gets called away, and he's really excited. Yeah, he's heading off for his yeah. next shot at life. Yeah, and we never see Charlie again. Um, <laughs> But what do you think? What do you think not, happened to Charlie? It's not Charlie. Do you think the same thing that happened? to... Well, let's go there because okay. let's take it from Rock Hudson's yeah. point of view. He's he's waiting and talking about what he's going to do next yeah. time, and then one night he he uh, is awoken by the yeah. old man who just appears in his room mm-hmm. and um, talks to him. Yeah, and uh, about like how sorry he was that it didn't work out, and of yeah. course they they really would have wished for it to be better. And, you know, yeah. it's still, you know, the goal is the valid and, yeah. and he believes in what he's doing. And like every mistake they make, they learn, you know, to apply to the next. Ca- I don't even remember yeah. what all he says, yeah. but it's filler <laughs> basically. <laughs> and he, and, um, then they strap him on a gurney. Well, then they, they come in, uh, yeah, they strap him on a gurney and say, it's time now to take you for your search. Oh, we've got a match. Yeah. 
And because he didn't give a sponsor, it's not the same situation as yeah. Charlie, where yeah. he has to wait for for um, the person he sponsored and go through that whole yeah. scenario, which lasts apparently years in some cases. Yeah. Um, but he's dismayed by the fact that he's being wheeled off to surgery in the middle of the night or something like yeah. that, because he feels like he hasn't really gotten to... They haven't talked about what's happening They haven't talked about the details. He hasn't gotten to tell them what his preferences are for the new life and what he was going to do this time. And um, they kind of brush it aside and they strap him on the gurney. And you've got the the priest guy. Yeah. Isn't that eerie? Yeah. Well, and that's the first sort of indication that... um, that all is not right. He asked him if he's a Protestant or a Catholic. Well, or... except for the chest strap. That was also straight. Uh, <laughs> and the weird sort of circular talking that the old dude was doing. Yeah, but... so circular talking, <laughs> strapped on the gurney, chest strap, yeah. wrist straps, yeah. as if he's going to be bundled off to the funny farm or yeah. something like that. And now it looks like shock corridor. Yeah. And as... then uh, the so guy they're... starts asking him what his religion and is walking down the hallway with him and says, well, I'm... I'm ordained in all of them anyway, yeah. and he takes out his book and starts, and you're like, oh my god, these are last rites. Yeah. Which I guess was more common then. I don't know. I don't Yeah, I, don't I love know. how they have to give last yeah. rites even though they're about to do well, that's whatever the they're going to do. Like, to me, this, I mean, like, it's certainly, the scene works to build tension and, and like, to give you sort of a more complex conclusion but like ultimately they could have just given him some pills and knocked him out like it's not they don't they, that's not how you do it in a yeah. movie like this this is a shocker <laughs> i don't know it's it seems like there's the men in this have like this this like understanding of like ceremony and how things are supposed to be that also, they, they stick to rather than like we could just knock this guy out i think you it's know? also the sense that this is a legitimate business that yeah. they kind of are behaving right. as if yeah there's nothing to do it's just business things have to be done in the right way yeah and they have procedures you know it's like it's like it's got its policies and it's the way they do things there and how this is how we do this and you have the last rest so then you get that marvelous shot of him like that long shot of him Mm -hmm. being wheeled away from the camera and i thought it was Mm -hmm. I, i actually i was thinking oh does it just like fade out here yeah with him being wheeled off down the hall no, they actually take him into the surgery so room. you and... think you're safe. You think you're, he's going to be wheeled away and maybe the movie will yeah. end and you know that he's going off to his doom, right? Yeah. And then you recall a scene a few minutes earlier where they were measuring his skull size and, and, his, biceps. and his biceps yeah. um, for the match. Yeah. So he's a match, all right. Yeah. But he's the cadaver this yeah, time. Yeah, he's now... It's with CPS now. So you got that last shot in the surgery room, the last sequence with in the, the surgery room. With the cranial drill, <laughs> that sound. <laughs> Where they talk in front of him as he's he's drugged, he's drugged because yeah. he can barely lift his head, but he's conscious yeah. and he can hear everything. And he's screaming as they've wheeled him down the yeah. hall and, and it, trying to, like, it's Rock Hudson, yeah. the, the actor, screaming. Yeah. It's quite unsettling. Yeah. You don't. This is probably the. It's very clinical and and disturbing at the end. Yeah, with the and they, doctor they and they talk about that the the doctors are talking to each other about what decisions going to be made. Oh, it's a gonna it's going to be a horrendous car accident from a, um, a an aneurysm he had on the road. And yeah. they're like, okay, so we'll make an entry point here in the skull and do the whatever. And and then he he says, hand me the cranial drill. <laughs> and then they end in the cranial drill. And then you've got the close-up of the drill, the doctor, the, the drill coming towards the camera. And then you hear, yeah. and then we go to the end. 
so I I don't know. Interesting. I things I I worry. I was so he's seems like there would be a way to in, induce an aneurysm without drilling through the skull because that's going to be noticeable on any sort of medical examination that there's a giant drill hole in someone's head. But yeah, but how <laughs> how can you ever forget the the that's cranial true. drill. That's true. It's it's true. But, it's, uh. <laughs> it's good cinema. It's good horror movie stuff. It was. It was. Because I remember thinking about that cranial drill for a while after that. Well, and not, I'm just thinking about this now, but they're going to, I mean, in well, I don't know how in detail it would need to be, but they're going to need to keep him alive so that the corpse is warm I was during wor- the car accident. Well, that's what I was know? worried about. So he's going to be alive. When we got to that point yeah. where we're in the room with him, then mm-hmm. I was like, when is it going to end and how much do we have to see of what yeah. they do? Because I was like, are they going to show them extracting his teeth and yeah. stuff? Like, how what, yeah. what, <laughs> How much are we in for? But really, we're in for it as if we're him, conscious of what's happening, yeah. and then we black out. The movie fades to yeah, black. Yeah, it's, it's far more disturbing than, like... like Think of like the end of the fly where you're just like, help me. Right. And not the original fly, not the, not the one with. <laughs> yeah. Not the one that we watched on the podcast. But. <laughs> so to me, like it's depressing as fuck, but yeah. it's one of the great endings of a movie yeah. to me. Well, it's interesting because like one thing that, you know, we made the comparison to get out is that I know that, and we, it probably is on the disc that we have, but Jordan Peele originally had an ending that didn't end well, you know, that was like this I bet, oh, it was probably with the procedure happening to the lead character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So something that was a little more, you know, because makes it clear that it is a horror film and there's, and I think it maybe just didn't test well with audiences or something like that. Um, But... You know, I mean, and he always talks about how, like, how can you perceive this film, which is clearly a horror film as a comedy, because I think it was entered in several, like, I think it was entered in the Golden Globes in the comedy film. I think it was, I think it was a racist uh, thing, too, where it was perceived as comedy. Yeah. Which is clearly not, you know, it's, it's, it's true horror. Well, I think (laughs) wide audiences were like the racism in this of these of the white people yeah. is so overt that it has to be like a con- well, that, this think, has to be like a well and if anything the last four years has shown us that that it's not it's not unusual it is it's not a comedy it's yeah. not even a horror comedy yeah. it's yeah. a horror movie it's just a horror movie yeah but so. it was it was definitely talked about as if it was a horror so comedy. i mean like i think probably i don't know what the pressures were and probably there's interviews that talk about this for him to change the ending but he did originally have an ending where it was like this, where the worst happened. Yeah. That there's no escaping, you know, the, you know, the Starks are not going to leave the Red Wedding, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so the movie, in terms of reception at the time for seconds, yeah. the movie we're talking about, it um, it did play at Cannes, and yeah. it was up for the Palme d'Or. It didn't mm. win. Yeah. When it screened at Cannes after that, after the cranial drill and the mm. ending, the audiences booed it. Yeah. <laughs> it did not. It did not go over well. Yeah. Um, I think critic reviews were mixed. It was considered to be a box office failure at the time, but I think a lot of people saw it as an interesting film and also really 
good career move for Rock Hudson to try. Yeah. He he wanted to do this movie right away when it came his way because he just felt like he'd spent the last decade or so doing light romantic comedies yeah. and he really wanted to do something <laughs> different of more substance and just kind of grow. And I actually think he's really good in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the weird thing about it is it's Rock Hudson who you're so used to being um, charming and sort of an extrovert and like... He's very yeah. not there. I mean, like, yeah. he, to, he he plays a depressed man quite yeah. well. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll just say that. But um, in as the years went by, uh, the movie um, kind of became a cult film. Yeah. Filmmakers like it. Film critics like it. Um, there's some weird stories along the way too. There's a, there's a story that uh, Brian Wilson from the beach boys wandered into a, a screening after it had started when he was starting to have mm. one of his episodes in, in when it was screening and um, was very confused because he walked in to hear Mr. Wilson, Mr. Wilson. Them talking to Mr. Yeah. Wilson and started to think the movie was talking to him uh-huh. and that Phil Spector had like, set this up or produce this in some way to mess with his mind. And it, and it actually, I think led to one of his breakdowns oh, wow. at the time. So they say <laughs> this is, a, there's an article about yeah. this that's cited in Wikipedia, but they say that after this incident with seconds that led to one of his bipolar episodes that, um, he wouldn't go into a movie theater for about till 1982 when he saw ET oh, wow. after seeing seconds. That's crazy. So, I mean, this, it's a disturbing film <laughs> yeah. but, uh, in any case. Whether or not you're Brian Wilson, poor Brian yeah. Wilson, that was the wrong movie to walk into at that time. Um, another sort of little factoid about it: it was it was uh, originally supposed to go to Kirk Douglas was supposed to be the mm. lead, uh, and his company produced it or financed it, and but he couldn't. Uh, he was busy with another project, mm. so it couldn't actually appear in the movie. Next, they were going to go. They tried to get Laurence Olivier to be in it. Oh, Lawrence Olivier was interested, but the studio said, nope, he's not big enough. We they need men we don't, with chins. We don't Only see him men with chins. They didn't think he was a box office draw, <laughs> yeah. so it didn't go to Olivier. Even though Olivier read the script and was interested in doing it, and then Rock Hudson was like, I really want to do this, and they gave it to him. So, I don't, correct me if I'm wrong, but Olivier has this sort of, or probably more at the time, had this sort of um, reputation for being a bit elitist. I don't know. I mean, that's yeah. my impression of him, yeah. but I don't know that I've actually heard stories about yeah. it. He just, you know, I don't know. <laughs> so, um, I just remember the, the special features on Rebecca uh, talking about how he was trying to get Vivian Lee to be, um, the, the part. Oh yeah. And like, like they have screen tests and she's just not good. She obviously is not right for the role, you know, as written. Um, she's too, she's too Vivian Lee to, and so like, but you know, they were married. So he was trying to get his, you know, yeah. I don't know. Interesting. So this was, we can talk a little bit if you want about it as a, as a Frankenheimer movie, Mm. John Frankenheimer did the Manchurian candidate. Oh, okay. I've seen that. Which is a great. I've seen film. all the it's Manchurian. A, candidates. It's a classic. The yeah. original Manchurian Candidate. Angela Lansbury, who we lost yeah. this week. Yeah. And uh, um, I need to see the Manchurian Candidate again. It's really good. Yeah, it really is. It's funny. I went and saw the update. You know, I never saw when the it update. came out yeah. in the theater. Alex Jones was there. Interestingly, that was yay. the. the <laughs> no, not yay. 
Um, but um, before, he was getting ideas before, for conspiracy they theories. Were famous, he was always a fan of conspiracy theory yeah, movies. Yeah, he was. I mean, like that's funny because we. I mean, it's not funny, but he no, used to be not. just a joke around town, and now he's like a, a national joke and yeah. um, dangerous human being. Um, but the the weird thing is, is like in updating it, they didn't really change anything. Like the the cleverness of the story was the same. Yeah, you know. Um, I well, don't it's know. sort of like, why did it need to be remade? Yeah, why There's you, nothing new yeah, given to it. Why are it? you doing a shot-for-shot shot remake of Psycho? You know what? Don't um, need that. Thanks. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> so they call this informally one of uh, John Frankenheimer's paranoid trilogy, which okay. they say is Manchurian Candidate, Seven Days in May, which I think is about seen. a nuclear threat. Sounds um, like it. Like uh, Doctor Strangelove, one yeah. of those movies that came. And... Um, and this one, mm. seconds being the last. What else did he do? He did comedies too. Oh, he's he's done a little of everything for decades, and was up uh, still making movies through the mm. '90s and stuff yeah. like that. And um, so he did Ronin, that Robert De Niro movie. He did Fifty Two Pickup with Gene Hackman from the '80s. Um, he did The Birdman of Alcatraz. I don't know what comedies he did. Mister Hobbs goes on vac- uh, the Mister Hobbs goes on vacation is a Jimmy Stewart movie. Mm think that's just um, a lot of this is a list of movies i haven't yeah, yeah, yeah. seen <laughs> um and then the other person we have to talk about creatively is james wong Howe, the cinematographer that's who really is good. one of the very best dps hollywood ever had hugely prolific mm-hmm. chinese american um cinematographer from the 30s right on through the 60s like you name it he shot it mm-hmm. i mean like he i was looking at some of them he did HUD. He did Sweet Smell of Success. He shot Picnic. He shot Bad mm. Day at Black Rock. He shot Funny Lady. Like, mm. and so just, uh, you know, hundreds. Yeah. Like, un- I think he did 130 films, they say. Yeah. Um, and so in this one, he's not only giving us all the crazy stuff he's doing with wide angle lenses and low angles and, and that black, crisp black and white. Yeah, photography and the optical effects. I think he's probably got an input on. He's also like um, uh, Orson Welles and Citizen Kane. Greg mm. Dolan, his cinematographer, was giving you that the deep the, the 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 um, the sets with the ceilings. They would construct mm. in the soundstage the set with the ceiling too, and probably have lights mm. through like a like the ceiling might not be plaster, but like a sheet or something yeah. with lights above it. So you could show the ceilings and have that sense of, of claustrophobia yeah. and enclosure. So he's doing all that kind of yeah. stuff too. And I bet you we walked through the soundstage where this was shot because this yeah. was shot at Paramount, um, okay. except for the Malibu and the Scarsdale stuff. Yeah. But the uh, the company. Yeah. All, all the with all with the the uh, wallpaper that you yeah. th- that you Grass noticed off. all of that all that <laughs> stuff the surgeries and all that is is shot on, in one of those sound stages we probably walked through at, yeah. uh, when we went to Paramount a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's it's interesting the whole that whole the sp- it's a liminal space that that space where they're waiting for yes. the next thing and it's like all the walls are covered it's that's I, that's one thing that i pointed out because i like grass cloth but i have a strong opinions about it should usually be used on accent walls and not cover the entire space and so like every wall and it's interesting because some of the walls are curved mm-hmm. and it has yeah it does have ceilings and it's everything is kind of like like all the hallways look the same. It's very labyrinthy in a way. You know, it is. It is very much like a 
a, a liminal space, yeah. you know, which kind of makes it feel a little more uncanny and and uh, quietly sinister. <laughs> quietly sinister. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but you remember that question I asked in the beginning, mm-hmm. like, what genre is this movie? Because one of the things that fascinates me about Seconds is what the hell is this act two yeah that's rock hudson on the beach like in the middle of this like thrill it's so weird the different tones in the movie you have this weird quiet drama of this discontented man like with the woman and the the dionysian festival and the the beach and the cocktail party it's so weird that this is like this this is this horror movie and you've got this like half hour chunk or 40 minute chunk or it's probably not that long maybe half hour yeah um, it seems the development of what plays out in that chunk where yeah. he's where his new life doesn't work out seems a little rushed in a certain yeah. way. Like you kind of go from arrival to total like burning it down in it seems like in twenty minutes. Yeah, like, I don't know if there's enough steps along the way. Yeah. But also, it's just so weird that it does turn into this other quiet, like, Hollywood drama in the yeah. middle of Rock Hudson <laughs> with this, like, Dutch woman. Yeah. Like, getting into some kind of romance. Yeah. Well, I, it's, it is kind of neatly, like, cut into, like, three major sections. Like, the yeah. before, during, and then the after kind of I don't think thing. it's a flaw. I just yeah. think it's fascinating. I'm like, I, I forget how different the middle of the movie feels. Yeah. Because I'm always remembering the plastic surgery and being stalked through the train station in the beginning and the the freaking cranial drill. Yeah. Like, the cranial drill. I so, cannot put that out of my brain. Does Charlie, does he become a cadaver or... Charlie or Tony? Charlie. Okay. We know what Tony, we know what happens to Tony. I don't think Rock Hudson's a match for Charlie. Do you think... No, that, I, no I don't think so. I'm What I'm asking is, did Charlie become a cadaver like... Tony, or did he actually get to start another life? Because we don't know. Oh, we know. I'm going to tell you that I know. Okay. Everybody in that room is waiting it's to be a cadaver. cadaver. Yeah. There is no other chance, yeah. but they don't know that. And they're being, the pills are to keep them cooperative. Co- cooperative let's just say, so that too. they're calm and sedated enough to just sit in that room yeah. and not ask too many questions. Interesting. That's what I think. Well, and they do have to be kept alive. There's no indication whatsoever. Remember how expensive the procedure is. $30,000. Those guys can't afford... Like, it's not like you get a do-over. Yeah. It's weird that Rock Hudson, Tony, thinks that he's going to get another go at this. Yeah. Because, no, I, I mean, I read it. I don't know if it's in the movie, but I read it. To me, my interpretation is very loud and clear. Everybody in that room is waiting to be matched with a, as a cadaver for somebody else. So, one thing I'm I'm also confused about is like, like from a business perspective, this doesn't seem like it makes much sense. I had the same feeling. Yeah. <laughs> I started to get those thoughts when he said that this has an eighty percent failure rate, and I and I just had to suppress it. Yeah, I was like, this doesn't really seem to make sense. So, I mean, okay, $30,000 is a lot of money in 1966, but they have to, company has to outlay money for this house in Malibu, like... That doesn't cost that much back Completely, then. well, they, they have all these people to maintain the guy, you know, he has a, a house servant, he well, has just a, a house, you know, I don't... And just that woman. 
and and the woman. Well, those were the only stats. Assuming that, I mean, but if they're doing this with other people, they may also be maintaining those. But I think the, plus the surgeon. I think the intention is that those people are only supposed to be with him for a week or two. I don't think I think yeah. he wasn't transitioning well. Yeah, he wasn't being cooperative. I just don't think of that like. I mean, as as much money as thirty thousand dollars was, I don't think it's enough to cover the outlay that they have of like completely creating a new life for someone, like even in nineteen sixty six. Also, you're kind of like if it's an eighty percent failure rate, why are they still doing this? Yeah. Or, but my answer to that is, it doesn't make any sense, and it's a complete horror. Yeah. But it's a machine that's already set in motion, well, and it's, it's like, just gonna—it's it's like our fucking capitalism or something. It's just gonna keep going. Well, it's like Amazon—you sell everything at a yeah. loss, and then but yeah. you get people to invest in you because the perception. As long of, as they keep getting the the people in the room to sponsor somebody else, then it's just a machine that will kind of keep on going. Yeah, it's a pyramid. It's like a pyramid scheme. No, it's a pyramid scheme because yeah. and nobody can get out of it once you get into yeah. the interview room. And sign the contracts, yeah. even before you sign the contracts, if they're blackmailing you yeah. by having you, like, attack women or whatever and <laughs> filming it. Um, yeah, wow. So, how did this movie work for you? We've kind of just talked through the whole story yeah. and sort of how it's realized. It's interesting. There was more to talk about than I thought, because, like, to me, like... Ultimately, it had the feeling of a longer Twilight Zone episode, yeah. you know. Um, but, I mean, like, I don't know. To me, it there's, there's more to it now that we're talking through it. There's more themes to be explored than I initially really thought about, you know. Especially that, like, this implication that... There was nothing there to begin with, yeah. which is interesting because, like, there's a lot of stories about, dis- you know, middle-aged men who are dissatisfied with their lives. But it's rare that, that somebody makes the political statement that maybe they're dissatisfied with their lives because they're dissatisfied with themselves, you know, which is interesting. I wouldn't be surprised if that's yeah. one reason why this movie didn't play with audiences yeah. is because it indicts you. Yeah. If you if you are the target audience, which yeah. is a middle aged man who would buy into the wish fulfillment yeah. of what this man is being promised, then you're being told that what you think you want is hollow and empty. And yeah. oh, by the way, also the life you're leading is you're tr- it's yeah. true. You should have regrets because you never did anything, and you also can't have everything yeah, just handed okay. to you. So it's a very um, uh, what is the word for it? A dark. Yeah, the the problem Dark is Dark all you. around. Yeah. The problem is you. If every if every Dear relationship audience. you've ever had ends in failure, what's the common yeah. denominator? If everyone's you're... an asshole, you're the asshole. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. If everyone you encounter an, is an, an asshole. It's an indictment. Yeah. <laughs> and in a way, it's kind of like transgressive or something. I don't know. The, it's it's a little bit of a slap in the face. Well, of. it's interesting, too, like, the psychology of the guys who run the company because, like, they're deriving some sort of satisfaction about, like, this opportunity to make people's lives better. But they aren't actually making people's lives better, you know. They think that... or And actually, they know that it's a failure. They know that this picking someone up and putting them in the life that they think they want is not a successful thing. But they keep doing it. 
But it works with 20% yeah. of yeah. them, so it's yeah. worth it for those, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. But I, it's funny because it allows them to feel good about themselves, like, oh, look at the lives that we're improving. And meanwhile, sort of like... But the keeps are- them from feeling guilty about the men that they're, I mean, failing, essentially... You know, so I don't know. It's it's um, it's a more of a metaphor than I realized. Well, so also, yeah, because it's also an <laughs> indictment of corporations yeah. and uh, and ethics yeah. or lack of ethics yeah. in terms of justifying yeah. the horrors that you're the atrocities that you're doing. Well, it's it's interesting to me too to think about this sort of thing. But like, there are people who are. Like, broad, I mean, like, I'm broadly skeptical of, of any institution, you know, because once you reach a certain level of any institution, it's it becomes corrupt, you know. Yeah. Um, that's just how institutions run by people work. But, um, like, there are people who believe that corporations are up to this sort of thing, you know, that they're, you know, trafficking children in art, in armoires from, from Wayfair or, you know, there's all this... You know, so, I mean, like, I think it's natural to be skeptical of large institutions that are run Mm -hmm. by people, but, like, a lot of people sort of, like, build into this, if it's unseen, then it must be something, like, big where they're, you know, killing people in order to, you know, you know, when, when often it's just they're killing people because they don't care. You know, mm-hmm. you know, not not that they're intentionally making corpses out of them. They're just, you know. <laughs> I know what I wanted to. Sorry, I didn't. Yeah, no, go ahead. I wanted to ask you because I can never have my first time with this movie again. Mm. Is how much of the twists or revelations along the way did you see coming, and how early on? Like, for instance. The woman, did you know right away she was a plant and an employee? Did that seem fishy to you? I I think I thought she was associated with the company in some way. I thought she might be another plant like he was. I didn't realize that she was So I thought it might be a connection between two people who had the procedure done. Yeah. I, I didn't remember that she was an employee and it didn't even it didn't click through the whole why well, Santa Barbara thing. And it I think for me it it clicked this time when they were in the room and she said she loved him. And I was like, that seems too easy. Like, yeah. like, well, I think it's clear that also that they don't offer this to women. Yeah. No, this yeah. is, this <laughs> this is, is a something that uh, men, men want. They don't offer this to women. Men have earned this. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You never know. Yeah. Women are completely satisfied in their lives and uh, never need what to. What do they have to complain yeah, about? That's no, right. I'm sorry. Um, and then of course I wanted to ask like, did you know he was going to be a cadaver? Oh, yeah. Like, like, from what point? As soon as they mentioned in the beginning, or...? I was pretty sure, at, like, that things weren't going to end well as soon as, like, the party where they're, like, you know, the, where the men were starting to act So weird. you didn't buy it at all when he's back there talking about what he wants for oh, the no, next chance? Oh, no, no, I never no. thought that... Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't think there was any way out I don't think that's that a flaw point. in the movie, yeah. because I actually think there's a great deal of pleasure as a viewer yeah. to know what's going to happen and he not know. Yeah. I, not that you want it to happen to him, but that there's a lot of suspense in knowing the horrific outcome that you suspect is going to yeah. happen and then seeing it well, get there. Then I was waiting to see, like, are they, is, well, I was like, okay, they're going to make Charlie a 
cadaver cadaver is what I I thought but I thought we didn't get to see that I thought that that I thought the reveal was going to be sooner yeah and that he would have to live with that but it actually was far more tense and personal to have him like to live with him through the experience experience of it I mean and like I knew what was going to happen I knew that he was going to be a cadaver but I it's interesting that they went... I thought that they were going to reveal it differently. And I think uh-huh. if they had revealed it with Charlie yeah. and then had... Well, that would have taken away something. That would have been more like a Twilight Zone It's much more ending. effective yeah. for him to not know. For yeah. him to not know, even yeah. though we know. Yeah. Until the moment they strap him in and wheel him away. Yeah. Well, and that's the one thing is that he, throughout this whole film, has not been... Was not suspicious at all. He just sort of took everything at face value. Yeah. Which, like... I don't know that I would have felt the same, you know, if, you know, the circumstances that led up to this, like, well, I, I would have been more on edge, like, what, what the hell is happening here? The movie itself and John <laughs> Frankenheimer is always cueing us. Yeah. Like, it's always telling us everything is off. Yeah. This You're not safe in this world. Yeah. Everything is feels wrong. Like... The freaking like down to weird details like the address that takes him to the weird laundromat with the like ninety year old man in the yeah. undershirt like working the steam press and like everything is just kind of creepy and off and weird. There's nothing good can come out of it. Yeah, like I know we're cued that way. I don't know why he's not getting that feeling. Yeah, because. <laughs> Because there's nothing there. He wants what he, he wants. He doesn't have... He wants to believe that... He doesn't have yeah. vision and he doesn't have... I mean, like... He doesn't he does, have an imagination. He doesn't have a self. Yeah. Which is... He doesn't want anything. Yeah. I, I just can't... I can't imagine... I mean, isn't that like the thing that life does? Is that it wants... Yeah. You know... It wants to continue itself. It wants to... So, uh... I don't have a lot to say about this, yeah. but I do have to say, it's a different experience to see this movie at age 51 mm. when you're the same age yeah. as Arthur Hamilton and yeah. Tony Wilson. I saw this when I was 21. I figured yeah. it out. I would have seen this in 92. I would have been 21. Here I'm watching it now. I'm 51. I'm I'm the age of the character. Yeah. And... Uh, that just made me feel very old. Yeah. I'm like, I'm the same age as this guy, John Randolph? <laughs> Well, I mean, like, I can't, I can, I mean, like, it's, it's certainly the desire to, like, when you're frustrated and tired or bored and you just want something else, you know, that's, that's certainly, but, like, I think most of us have more of a sense of who we are and what we want and the importance of the choices that we've made up to this point and, like, how we could shift things in a way that would make us happy without having to like burn everything to the ground, you know? So is there any way then to interpret this movie (laughs) as a cautionary tale of (laughs) if you want to, to realize the life that you have, you need to do it before it's too late and you need to strive for something and you need to make the changes and you need to make it happen. No. Is that, or is that giving this too much credit? It's just a thriller. No, I mean, I think that, Pre- pre- presenting it in this way with a longer sort of more investigation of his internal I mean like not that he's talking about it but this sort of like and in a way it's sort of like ghost story where you have like someone who's blank that you can sort of put your own thoughts yeah, and ideas true. on yeah. that um that the reason for that is you are you know he's realizing 
hopefully, I, I, he does. He realizes that that the thing is is that he needs to be the one to make choices. Yeah, you know, and just doing what's expected of you hasn't led him to happiness. So he needs yeah. to be able to make his own choices. But like, it's funny that it takes all that for him to get to the place where he's even aware that he needs to be aware of himself and what he wants, you know? Yeah. So he's not even done the work of figuring out what he actually wants. He just knows that there's a path to getting to that sort of self-awareness that he wants to start on, you know? So that's, it's interesting, you know? What a cruel universe yeah. at the heart of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah well in the end sometimes you don't get to you don't get to yeah so i mean in the end it does justify the credit sequence <laughs> and the creepy uh organ music that it starts with yeah. because that is the movie it actually is yeah even if you get a little unmoored along the way when you're in the middle of it and it's just this kind of like drama with rock hudson yeah. living on the beach yeah <laughs> It's, I mean, it is, it is philosophical, especially, yeah, I mean, and if you put it in the context of, like, being presented as an art film, it certainly is that, you know, it's like, you know, uh, Seventh Seal or, or whatever, like, what is, what is the point to our existence, you yeah. know, you know. Now I wonder if we're reading too much into this movie. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, what, you know, what, per what creative person does not you know, entertain those sort of thoughts. Yeah. You know, it's, I mean, like, and some creative people, like Woody Allen, it's the only thing they like to talk about. So, you yeah. know. <laughs> this, I think, is uh, graceful, gracefully and entertainingly handled, you know. It, it gets you to ask those questions without uh, making you, make it, it's like sugar, a spoonful of sugar, you know. <laughs> I think people should watch this movie about every 10 years yeah, and just yeah. kind of do that self-check-in with, am I living the life I want to? Yeah. Or am I going to, like, wake yeah. up one day and realize that I didn't do what I wanted to? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, like, who... I mean, our society tells people to be on this conveyor belt. You go to yeah. college, you find a job, you buy a house, you have kids. You buy you, the door. You buy I mean, the it door. it really is, like, it, once you do you do this, this, and this, and then you don't have to think about it anymore. But then at some You've point... You've got your life, and then you just live it. So I had a, you know, I had a, you know, unfortunately for me, it took a major change in my life, the passing of my father, that, you know, made me wake up and realize, you know, that that I wasn't happy with, with the choices I had made, you know, because I, they were like... They were passive choices rather than active ones, you know. Yeah. So and, and I realized when my last marriage fell apart that I wasn't in the relationship I was supposed to be in, and um, but I had my two delightful children, mm -hmm. and I had the opportunity to see where I go yeah. next, you know. Well, I think that that it's easy to not do the emotional work and just sort of let status quo happen to you, mm -hmm. you know, you know, especially if you're in a position where you don't have to struggle a no. lot to get the things, the next thing. But then, you should never get too comfortable with where you are. Yeah. So you should always be striving for <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah. Like you should never consider yourself to be fixed. Yeah. We're turning this into like a self-help book or something now. <laughs> but I mean, like, really, this movie is saying, like, you have to want something and live yeah. for something. Yeah. <laughs> Which I agree with. <laughs> like, yeah, so. you have to. And, and 
and that I mean essentially you're you're responsible for making your own meaning. Yeah. You know. And the choices that you make reveal what you think are important, you know, the things that you think about and the And Arthur the, Hamilton was just sleepwalking through his life. Yeah. He assumed he was just set where yeah. he was, at least as the movie started. Yeah. Do you have any other thoughts about uh about this week's movie before we sign off? I think I said all the things. All I the I things. it's interesting cuz like I really thought that this would be a shorter episode and it it hasn't turned out that way. I there was a lot more to unpack than I realized, you know. Good. Yeah. I'm glad when we we hit upon <laughs> a movie that's got surprises in it even though we've seen the movie and then the conversation reveals yeah. takes us to places we didn't know we were going to go. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, if you're still with us and you haven't seen the movie and you've now sat through the spoilers, <laughs> thank you for listening. Um, and I do recommend that you revisit the movie or see it for the first time if you haven't, because there is a lot there and it's just, there's nothing really like it. It, it, it the, the way that it mixes genres and has those different tones and then the just amazing directing by Frankenheimer and photography by James Wong Howe, performance by Rock Hudson. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Um, so we will be back in a couple weeks with Ashley's next choice. Probably. Not Sophie's choice. Ashley's choice. Um, I hope there's not as much hanging on that choice. Yeah. Um, and thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you again soon. Bye. Bye-bye.